seems, and that is that it is actually possible to grow a coffee business, a cafe business, and both maintain and improve your quality. And it's also um, kind of imperative as an industry for us that we are able to um, to scale a speciality cafe, a speciality coffee business. Um, it's the only way we're really going to have a viable industry from the producer end all the way into um, into the cafe model. So. Um, my background, so Taylor Street Baristas, co-founder with my brother Nick, my sister Laura, uh, myself. We started it back in 2006. We uh, set up an espresso bar in uh, Richmond, London. And um, it was quite a, a different concept for us, for maybe the, the coffee industry at the time, because we just really wanted to set up an espresso bar and be 100% focused on coffee quality. And the way we were able to do that um, is by setting up as a concession within another business. So we didn't have to worry about food, we didn't have to worry about table service, we just worried about making sure that every coffee we served was of the highest quality. Um, and so we did that and we had we set up two different espresso bars um, with that sort of concession model. And then come 2008, we set up in uh, New Street, which is across the road from uh, Liverpool Street Station in London. and. Um, that was uh, our first sort of side, our first venture into having our own premises and trying to uh, deliver on the entire package. Um, and it's quite a funny story because when we set up in in, uh, in New Street, um, we um, had got about a week into our fit out of that cafe, and um, some builders started working on a shop across the road from us, and um, they. Um, sort of came over and said, oh, what are you guys up to? And we said, oh, we're setting up a cafe. And we said, what are you up to? And they sort of laughed at us and said, well, we're actually setting up a Starbucks. You guys are in trouble. <laughs> we thought that's actually fantastic news. Um, and we thought that was fantastic news because um, our experience with the, with, the, with the espresso bar concessions was that we could deliver on a high quality and we can do it in a more personable way. Um, and these are the two things that really differentiate, I think, a speciality cafe from a, um, a sort of more mainstream uh, coffee business as such. Um, so six months after Starbucks opened its doors, they then closed their doors. Um, they couldn't handle the pressure, uh, <laughs> which is um, you know, which, which is a, a great story. Um, and while I'm not happy to have seen them, that they've gone actually, actually out of business. What I am happy with is that it, it's a, a sort of reassurance that um, as an industry, um, there is a market for speciality cafes, and that we, as long as we're focused on producing a discernibly better cup of coffee, and as long as um, we provide a better level of service, a more personable service, then we can outcompete, um, you know, some of the biggest players in the market with huge brand presence. Um, so. If, you, if you'd asked me back in 2010, maybe to, um, whether I thought it was possible to scale a coffee business, um, I would have pretty emphatically said, no, absolutely not. Um, coffee is incredibly complex. Uh, you need to be incredibly focused on every shot that you produce, the coffee quality, the equipment maintenance, um, barista training. So many aspects of what we do in coffee are incredibly technical, incredibly difficult to manage. Um, but what's happened to change my thinking since then is uh, that we've seen some real improvements in the three main areas that um, 
will allow us to both produce quality and produce quality at a, at a, in, a, in, a, in a larger market as well, at scale. Um, and this is really focused around these very simple things of fantastic coffee, um, very well-trained baristas, and uh, consistent and reliable equipment. Okay, so I'm going to sort of focus on these three, three elements of um, uh, scaling a coffee business around, around these three elements because um, that's where my main strengths are and background is with Taylor Street. Um, I can't go too much into the sort of customer experience side, which is another huge area in terms of scaling, scaling, um, scaling quality, um, but it's kind of beyond the scope of 20 minutes, which I am, to be honest with you, already going to go over. Okay? So. <laughs> Um, so, let's look at coffee. Um, I kind of want to frame this in the way of where coffee has traditionally been and also where we are now with coffee and then what we're doing with Harrison Hall and coffee. Um, three, three main elements around coffee quality are the provenance of the coffee, the relationships you have with the producers, as well as the developments in infrastructure, in processes that have really allowed us, over the last 14 years only, I think, to go from having increasingly better and better coffee. We've got the highest quality coffee available now, and we have more of it. And that's really a reflection of where coffee is coming from, how we are sourcing it from origin, and then as well as the, uh, the quality of the processing. So. Um, the top, top picture is um, on that little board. It talks about uh, this particular micro lot. It's Couture and Bourbon varietals. Um, it's a farm up in Peru. Um, it's grown at high altitude. That, to me, is what provenance is. Okay? Um, Mocha Java is not provenance. Guatemala Antigua is not provenance when it comes to uh, quality in coffee. We can't take coffee from a huge geographical region and say that we can understand all the different things that are contributing to flavors within, within that coffee. Um, relationships. So call it direct trade, um, call it quasi-direct trade, however you want to do it. I think um, the way in which we are trading coffee is incredibly important to both incentivizing growers to um, produce quality coffee, but it's also um, important uh, for um, the quantity of coffees that we're buying. So when you have a relationship with your grower, you're um, committing over a longer term, you're incentivizing the farmer with higher prices, and it's those two things which are giving us higher quality coffee um, year on year on year. Um, the other model is obviously commodity market trading, it's using supply and demand. The farmer bears all the price risk. There's no incentive for a grower to really focus on producing exceptional flavors in the cup because they're going to get paid for it anyway. But then they also are susceptible to uh, you know, times when prices are low um, and it doesn't incentivize them to invest in infrastructure which will allow them to improve quality over, over the longer term. So um, another key element of uh, improving coffee quality is the access uh, to infrastructure at origin. Um, and there are many examples around the world of um, investing in infrastructure and improvements in overall quality. I think um, a, a really amazing story is Rwanda, where we've gone from coffee of a quality which was be below um, commodity grade back in the 90s, 
uh, with the investment in processing stations um, through 2000 and then throughout the last decade, we've seen this radical increase in quality from Rwandan coffee to the point that it's some of the best speciality coffee in the world. Um, Rwanda's the first country uh, in Africa to have hosted a, a cup of excellence competition. That really is a signal that um, coffee quality has improved dramatically there. Um, sort of a final point I'd like to make about coffee quality is, and it's, it's why I think we really need scale in this speciality coffee market, is that um, for us to be interesting um, to a farmer, we need to be buying a lot of coffee, okay? We need to increase the amount of coffee we're buying worldwide. Currently, we're at sort of 5% of the uh, production um, of coffee around the world as the sort of so-called speciality coffee market. We can increase that dramatically, and by increasing it, we're both doing, we're doing two things. We're increasing the overall market size of coffee, but we're also taking away from um, some of the more um, sort of commodity-grade coffees. And in doing that, we're going to be ensuring that farmers are paid a higher price, and when farmers are paid a higher price, they're more motivated to continue producing quality coffee. So it's a win-win for uh, producers and for consumers and for us. Um, so I've talked a lot about quality, uh, and I think it's really important to define what quality is, um, because I think most businesses would say that they produce quality in some, some way, shape, or form. It's very subjective. So I think we need an objective um, scoring or analysis of quality. And that's why I like the um, SCAA cupping score sheet. It's um, a great format for being able to objectively score coffees. And there are obviously flaws with every score sheet. Um, there are biases that they have, but um, it's important to choose one and then I think to use, use that as a scale to evaluate coffee quality. So, I mean, this is all about where the coffee is from, the degree of roast, uh, and then the cup quality, and obviously minimizing defects. So with Harrison Hall, what we're looking for is coffees that score 84 plus on an SCAA cupping score sheet. Um, we've got two Q graders in the business at the moment, um, to, or three actually, sorry, um, to evaluate um, coffee quality. And um, I think that's, it's just incredibly important to have objectivity that other people then can relate to. The other thing that determines coffee quality in my mind um, is that we can identify the, the flavors of terroir and provenance. Okay? So again, it's all very well for me to tell you my coffee's 84 plus, but you need to develop the roast in a way that will also let the coffee sing and let them shine with the natural flavors that are in that coffee. There's no point in roasting out the flavors of a coffee, and that's really what is so often done when businesses scale. They try and make everything generic and standardized so that you go into one shop and you get the same taste. When you go into another shop, you get the same taste. Um, that's not a name. I don't think it's what specialty coffee is all about. This is our uh, current espresso blend um, with Harrison Hall. I must admit, Steve, I've sort of borrowed off your, uh, your descriptive style for, for coffees. Um, I think coffee labels need to be fun, okay? We need to make coffee approachable for people. We're not always talking to a very um, sophisticated um, coffee buyer. So you need to talk in terms that relate, relate to what they know. So, a feast for your coffee senses and breakfast in your cup is, uh, is kind of flowery description, but also um, it, it sort of might hit home, pull out an emotive um, feeling for people. 
Harrison Hall, we also do two different filter coffees. So we've got a filter which we um, recommend drunk black, and we've got a filter which we recommend drunk white. So again, it's a way of you know, trying to get people to think about trying different coffees and experience some of the flavors in coffee. Equipment. Now, we all know that um, you can have the very best equipment, and then you can, uh, sorry, you can have the very best coffee, and then you can make your um, coffee very badly on unreliable, inconsistent equipment. Um, two things, I've, I've used the words uh, three times now, but consistency, reliability, um, they're really, really important for an espresso machine, especially when, it, when you want to scale a coffee business. Um, when I talk about consistency, I'm talking about temperature stability. When I'm talking about consistency, I'm talking about pressure stability. Um, there are obviously machines which are working on uh, pressure profiling, um, and maybe temperature profiling is, is sort of being vaguely done. Um, there's undercounter bars, but I think for really developing the a sort of a model that's that's scalable, we need a machine that's focused around temperature and and pressure stability. Um, just a maybe a slightly geeky technical point on this, but you've, when I talk about temperature stability, it's both intra-group as well as inter-group. So it's all very well to have a group head producing 93 degree water throughout a 25 second extraction, but you also need group head one, group head two, and group head three working at the same temperature. If you don't have that, you're getting a different shot from group two versus one, even if it's you know a sort of half degree or one degree variation in temperature. Um, grinders. Everyone in the speciality industry sort of laments grinders, you know, they're unreliable, we get different doses all the time, we waste a huge amount of coffee, they heat everything up, the quality goes downhill. Um, and they're all perfectly valid uh, criticisms of uh, grinders. But what I would say um, is that as an industry, again, it's the, the onus is on us to uh, create or give our manufacturers an incentive to produce better quality equipment. Because we, are, we need to, if we don't have the scale to justify the number of machines or the amount of money they're going to invest in research and development, um, you know, if they're not going to get a sufficient return on the investment in that R&D, they're not going to invest in developing new grinders. And that's um, just a really, a really fundamental point. It's why, we, as an industry, we need to grow and we need to um, give manufacturers reassurance that there is a market for the equipment that they're going to have to spend a lot of money to develop. Um, I'm quite excited about um, Milan when Simnelli are releasing their new grinder. Um, I know they've spent the last year, um, they've tested I think something like a hundred different um, plastic shoots that um, uh, all, the, all different prototypes to um, control the rate at which coffee grinds are coming, being dis, um, dispensed out of, out of the burst. And it controls the, um, the regrinding, it controls the static, it controls all, all sorts of things to do with the quality of the coffee. It's also got um, a, temperature, uh, a temperature control mechanism. So it'll be really interesting to see if that is um, the, where we need to go in terms of developing grinders. Um, I'm sort of digressing, so I'll, I'll move on. Um, water filtration, um, it's really great to see these guys over here. Hello. Um, <laughs> water is, you know, everyone knows, huge part, it's, a, it's such a significant part of the um, ingredients of a coffee. If we don't have high quality water, we don't have high quality coffee. You know, it can mute all the natural flavors, the aromatics, the floral notes, 
um, it's got to be good. So reverse osmosis um, is definitely a step in the right direction. Being able to blend to the right TDS is critical. And it also gives us that degree of stability um, in a cafe and across multiple cafes so that we can um, deliver a really high quality product. So quick, I mean, a quick overview of sort of, I've sort of covered this, but where, where we are now versus where we were. Um, you know, we've, we've got espresso machines, grinders, water filtration, you know, traditional models of E61 multi-boilers and bean to cups. There has actually been significant improvement in, in all these different areas. Um, there are, you know, positives and flaws with each of those traditional systems. Um, but what I think is the, is, the best opportunity for us at the moment is a boiler per group head. Um, it's a PID per group head. It's managing where temperature is, is controlled at each of the different elements. So the T3 model is very exciting. Um, I think Chimbali have something similar. I don't want to just talk all that one brand. But um, yeah, so that's what we are now. Um, so when we, we use the, um, the T3 in all the Harrison halls, um, and we did a lot of due diligence on that machine. We really we, we used SCASE 2, we data logged the pressure um, profile, we data logged the, um, the temperature profile, we were testing it on different, different machines to really see are they delivering on what they are. And, um, and it's, they, they've really sort of um, done a lot of very good work with that machine. Um, just in terms of uh, any, any cafe business, you want reliability in your equipment as well. And that means you need a manufacturer and a service team on the ground who are able to deliver engineers and parts at your call. Um, and you also want a machine that's easy to access. So there's two bits of advice on what you want to do when you're sourcing, sourcing equipment. But when you have those elements, then you can really start to um, develop your coffee business. The barista. So, uh, this is the World Barista Championships in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, it was a fantastic experience for anyone who was there. Um, and the Barista Championships have really done a lot to develop the barista craft over the past, um, well, since 2000 when they first started, 2000, 2001. Um, they, so we've got huge improvement in the skills of the barista as well as an improvement uh, or an increase in a, the awareness of the profile of the barista. And I would never um, suggest in any way that we can um, train a barista for Harrison Hall to the level that um, people like John Gordon are performing on stage um, at the World Barista Championships um, over the training periods that we have. We can do it, but it takes time. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a commitment of years and not just, not just weeks. So. What I'm, I guess, trying to allude to is the fact that being a barista is incredibly technical. It's a challenging profession. Um, and what we aim with Harrison Hall is to give people the opportunity to get on the road for that, of that profession, um, to develop their craft, develop their coffee knowledge, and develop their experience. And those are three essential elements of becoming a good barista. Okay? So traditionally, where we've been, um, coffee knowledge, very limited. You know, we talk about. Italian espresso blends. Um, that's not doesn't really tell us much about the coffee. Um, it's really broad. Uh, we don't know any. We know that you know it's either robusta or uh, arabica. We know quite possibly a blend, but we don't know exactly where those coffees are from, what the percentages are, um, what the exact provenance is. 
Um, in terms of craftsmanship, you know, if you're lucky, the barista could adjust the grind, um, could probably dose between 14 and 16 grams, and um, you know, could uh, press the right button and give you a sort of 30 mil shot. Um, this is all changing, and although I think it has a perception of being difficult, it's actually a very, very trainable skill. It's just a practical skill, and it helps people really, when they understand what they're doing in terms of understanding and dialing into a recipe, they can appreciate more about what they're trying to draw out of the flavors. So you get more consistent quality from the, from the barista. Um, I think probably one of the most important things that we've realized uh, in developing our training with Harrison Hall and through Taylor Street over the years is the importance of experience on the shop floor. You cannot be a good barista without a lot of um, time making good coffee. It's the only way to really fine tune your practical skills. So, um, I've hinted at the Barista Guild. Um, there is a Barista Guild being set up. Speciality Coffee Association of Europe is sort of working on that at the moment. Um, and um, I think that's quite exciting. It's a way that um, for the industry, we're going to try and bring in practical experience and certify that as well as the theoretical um, experience. And that's also what we're sort of doing with um, our Harrison Hall barista training. So the slide really, the um, percentages um, on the axis, they referring to how much time we sort of concentrate on the different elements of uh, becoming a barista um, at the different skill levels. And really, when you're learning to be a barista, it's about practical experience. Um, that's, that's where you want to give people as much time to get them comfortable with you know, just pulling a porter filter out and reinserting that porter filter, getting fluidity of that motion. Um, just lots of little things like that. Understanding a bit about the technical side, coffee knowledge, sensory development. These are ongoing things that you work on more as you improve your skills as a barista. Um, with Harrison Hall so far, I think we've trained, we've trained in excess of 80 baristas. They've gone from zero skills to being able to pour basic latte art. We do that in about four and a half days, um, which I think is a pretty commendable um, achievement. Um, I don't do any of the training, so I'm not patting my own, myself on the back, but um, the, uh, the trainers are an exceptional team um, and incredibly committed. And um, that's, that's fairly impressive to, to be able to do that. So I think for a barista, um, and this again is relating very, very strongly to, um, to Harrison Hall, but um, as an industry as well, um, but it's continuous development, okay? So if we're going to attract talent into this industry, we need to show them that there is somewhere for them to go. And that's why um, Harrison Hall is such an amazing opportunity because we have you know, four and a half days of solid barista training. Uh, they then go into a shop they get practical experience, they then get the opportunity to come back into the training center and do more training, and then there are opportunities for them to develop within the business as well, to become area baristas who go around to all the shops, to be um, opening team baristas, but really just to fine tune and hone their skills. Um, progression is fundamental. Um, in terms of experience, we all know as well that um, you can uh, take the best coffee in the world, you can use the best equipment, and then you get a barista and they're stressed behind the machine and they make some really bad coffee. Um, so getting people used to a shop is really important. 
getting them some, some shadow shifts um, to see how the shop flows, see what customers are after, and just really experience the, the feel of the shop and practice when it's quiet and they're not feeling stressed and pressured. Um, and finally, the whole Olympics. And again, an initiative from our um, barista trainers with Harrison Hall, and um, a really exciting initiative. The, um, the, the barista championships, um, they uh, just have been fundamental in improving barista skills around the world and also improving quality of coffee. And that's the same thing that's going to happen with um, the Hall Olympics at Harrison Hall. Um, so the finals are on the 15th of September. We've got um, four competitions. Uh, Barista Championships, Latte Art, Brewers Cup, and uh, Cup Tasting. Uh, the entire company is invited to participate. Um, so we'll hopefully have um, you know, both head office as well as all the different people in the shop coming along and, and getting involved. Um, and it should be a good fun event. And everyone's welcome, obviously. Open invitation. There will be beer and there will be some music. So yeah. And the Vimeo um, link there is uh, a bit of a... Um, a sort of preamble to what's what's going to be happening. So, I could um could really finish finish here and just say that coffee quality is a scalable proposition. Um, all we need to worry about is barista skills. It's about um, coffee quality. It's about equipment consistency and reliability. Um, but I think there's a little bit more to a coffee business than just those three elements. Um, I want to sort of talk about our coffee drinking traditions. You know, it's about where we've come from and where we are now. It's really important to think about the history and the development of coffee. So, we look at we look at coffee drinking traditions, and it's very much based around coffee as a drug, and coffee as coffee. Um, very little about how coffee tastes and the flavours that we're we're developing within it. So, stimulates soldiers. Um, provides the, uh, the, the caffeination to uh, dance all night if you're a Sufi whirling dervish. Um, it sobered up London so that they could uh, um, get involved in the Industrial Revolution or drive the Industrial Revolution. Um, and there are all these beautiful traditions um, and rituals that have been developed around coffee, um, from Turkish coffee to sitting in a beautiful Parisian cafe or even dare I say it, a Starbucks and just, you know, watching the world go by and using your computer and doing, um, you know, socializing, doing some work. Um, but where I think we're at now um, as an industry is that we're focusing more on the craft of the barista. We're focusing more on the um, development of flavors in coffee, um, providing a discernibly better cup of coffee. Um, and we still need to think about all those past experiences. So what does Starbucks do well? They offer that third place. How can we offer that third place but enhance that experience with a better quality product? This chart, um, maybe a little bit more detail if this is available online later, then um, you, know, you can read through it yourselves. Um, I guess a key message is as a speciality cafe sector, um, a big thing holding us back and why Harrison Hall is important and why there's room for other large cafe chains to grow is because we're too fragmented and we don't have one voice in what we're doing. We need to talk with one voice about delivering a better product, um, about the perception of that coffee and about how we talk about it as well as the breeze, the craft and skills. 
I recommend going on the Nespresso website and looking at how they talk about coffee. Okay, it's really interesting, and that website is beautiful. It's so so rich and luxurious. It kind of makes you want to drink one of those coffees. Yeah. Um, many traditions of coffee consumption. So we've got coffee. It's a drug. You know, it's. An emotional experience. People talk about coffee not in terms of it being, you know, having strawberry and chocolate and all these different flavors. They talk about it as it makes me feel warm. It makes me feel like home. It makes me feel comfortable. Um, you know, coffee is a ritual, and we don't bring enough of the ritual of what coffee is um, into our speciality cafes. And I think we should be thinking about ways in which we can ritualize that experience. Um, coffee that tastes like coffee. That's a tradition. Let's move away from it. Okay, it's boring. We can all roast coffee dark and standardize the product, the, the flavor profile. It's not interesting. Um, so we've never had better coffee, better equipment. We've never had the ability to train to such high standards. It's a reflection of the developments over the last only 14 years. This really juvenile speciality coffee industry. Only the last 14 years that we've really had all these improvements, and that we and now really allows us to develop. Um, Quality coffee at scale, um, and produce a discernibly better cup of coffee. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's great. Thank you. Um, that was really interesting. I think um, it, it, it's uh, it's really wonderful to see somebody that's so passionate about presenting quality coffee and who actually wants to grow a, a strong, successful business. And for a long time, we've been talking about this all week. Was that there seems to be a perception before that you, ca you can't have quality and quantity at the same time. Yep. But what, like what Nadia was saying this morning, what you've gone through there, it's, uh, it's clearly achievable. It, this can be done. Um, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing, nothing's proven. You know, we're all, it's, it, it's a very, it is a very, um, I think a really a new market. And, um, you know, we can, we can deliver on traditional stuff, but, you know, for us to really, um, define our proposition. I think that's what we've got to do as an industry and we've got to remove that fragmentation um, as an industry. And I think that's why this experience of coming here and it's also why I really enjoy judging because you talk to so many people from around the world, people who are open to sharing their experiences and their ideas um, and we collaborate and we get to talk to farmers and talk about what's important for them. We get to talk to baristas, we talk to you know the entire industry and everyone is, is everyone's voice is heard. So. Yeah, so tamper tantrums invaluable. Yeah. With Harrison Hall, uh, it's obviously a new, you know, it's a it's a new thing. Yep. Uh, what what is the ideas of scale? Where where you obviously have a plan of where it's going to be in yeah. twelve months, five years. Yeah, I mean we we've we, so we we opened our first cafe in um, in July last year, and we've uh, grown to eighteen cafes. Um, got a few more in the pipeline, and really it's it we're not. We're not going to just grow, 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 grow without really establishing what the proposition is and really testing different different demographics to see what it is that they want. Because England's uh, England is a challenging market. It's um, it, like most of the speciality world is it's still very, very fairly new, and London is um, slightly more uh, I guess developed in their taste preferences. So we have this sort of concentration of, um, of really good cafes in London, but then you step outside of London and you've only got these sort of rare, rare spots where coffee is appreciated. And I do think that when people taste a really good coffee, 
you know, be it in the form of a, a milky a milky coffee, you know, a cappuccino or a flat white, but it's made really well, they can appreciate that the taste is better. And you can slowly steer them away from adding that sugar to it. And then you can sort of slowly take them on that little journey of, um, of what coffee, what good coffee is all about. But it's, um, it's, it's a long-term proposition. And for us to grow Harrison Hall, we need to continually really understand what the market, what the market wants. Yeah. What is the, um, the reception been like amongst the, the kind of that London specialty coffee scene, for want yeah. of a better word? Like when you guys announced that you're, you're rolling out this Harrison Hull, Hill thing, yeah. like myself and Steve heard about it, it was, like, it was big news like in, in our little group and I was yeah. like, I was like, that's great. Like yeah. we've always been big fans of the business that you guys built first and foremost, like, and, and uh, you do great coffee and it's, it's always like, this is, this is wonderful for our industry. Yeah. Was it well received or? Um. I think amongst the, the sort of leaders in the industry, it was well received. Um, there were certainly some derisive comments from, um, from many, but um, that in many ways was related to the sort of the, the significant financial partner in, in Harrison Hall, who is a, a big supermarket chain called Tesco, for anyone who doesn't, isn't based in the UK. Um, and, you know, they've got very deep pockets um, and everyone's, you know, a lot of people are very anti, anti big business and, and anti that sort of... I um, think there's that whole thing, particularly mm. in, in England where, you know, if somebody's doing well, you kind of knock them down. It's like, oh, yeah. look at that, you know, oh, they've been given the opportunity. And, yeah. you know, it's like, no, they're doing well. We should like be really pleased for them. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, I, and I agree, I kind of saw some of those, those, those negative parts. Do you think that it's, it has any effect on Taylor Street as well? Obviously, as a separate business, we've the been, way that's viewed, and, and, and yeah, we've we've been very sensitive to um, to the reputation of Taylor Street through this. Um, it's always been a concern. One thing we've we've, we've sort of done is, is keep Taylor Street is kind of our baby. So for emotional reasons, um, we've we we set up Taylor Street, and we didn't just decide to scale. Taylor Street, because that's obviously an option that would have been on the table. How, how um, many, how many uh, Taylor Streets are there? We've got uh, 8.5. <laughs> the 0.5 is a, a coffee gallery concept, which um, is, uh, is quite good fun and very non-commercial. <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. the interesting thing for me with Taylor Street is you've always been very individual on what you did. You've had a very clear vision of what you've done. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the London cafes may have taken a more, oh, that's cool approach and, and done this. You have been very, like, this is what we're doing. This is where we're taking it. Yeah. Has that had an effect on the way that you've set up Harrison Hall as well with this clear vision and, 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 and direction for it? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think my, my brother's been instrumental in, um, in the establishing a really strong culture within, within Taylor Street and he's been able to uh, do the same over with Harrison Hall. Um, there's a lot of incredibly passionate people working in both. We have very, very talented baristas. Um, and yeah, so I think you've got to instill the right passion. Um, you've got to have the vision. You've got to thinking about designing your cafes around the customer experience. Um, all those things are just fundamental to, to growing a good business. So, so yeah. the Harrison Hill um, will continue to grow. And as you understand it, that uh, Taylor Street will, will stay relatively the same sort of numbers. Mm. But in, let's say, two, three years time from now, do you want, um, is the coffee at Taylor Street Barista's going to be just as good as the coffee at Harrison Hill? Like that actual one cup that's presented in front of me, will they I be of the um, same quality? I think we, yeah, we have a lot of potential with, um, with Taylor Street to uh, develop our coffee menus um, and be slightly more experimental. 
um, we don't have that real flexibility with Harrison Hall. Um, the coffee quality at Taylor Street is pretty exceptional. So, yeah, and we have our espresso blend, which we change regularly, our guest roasters, which we use. Um, you know one of them quite well. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's huge potential. I, mean, I think where coffee is going in, in more of the, the um, sort of... Uh, smaller speciality focused businesses is really just focusing in on the coffee and the coffee flavors in a, in a much more sort of granular level um, and that's where we'll go with Taylor Street I think we're going to see like in like in Melbourne the cafes there lots more micro roasters lots more focus around um, filter brewing methods um, and offering different espressos and different filter coffees so yeah and that's that's going to be fun so Harrison Hall is uh, where, the eight, 18 stores at the moment. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where are they based? Are they all? So we're yeah, sort of clustered around the sort of uh, north, um, north and northwest of London, coming down into London. Yeah. We're at Cannon Street, um, Tooley Street, uh, London Wall, sort of uh, central London sites. Going to be out in Guildford, Ealing, uh, Amersham, North Finchley, Barnet. Uh, Crouch End. And, and are you going to be Cobra. expanding out like? That's yeah, that's or? part of the plan. I mean, yeah. it's to to really take speciality coffee to to the masses is is the goal. Um, yeah. So uh, just like with Mike before as well, if we could bring the conversation slightly uh, elsewhere, you uh, you uh, you got a, a history as a judge in competitions. Yeah. Uh, would you continue to do that, and what has it brought to your your career as a like as a coffee professional? And do you find it hard to justify the time that you give, you, you devote to that? Um, it, it's Definitely a labour-intensive um, investment of time. It's, it, but it's really, um, I, I mean, I enjoy it hugely on a personal level. Um, it's, it's incredibly challenged for me. You get, you get served some of the best coffee in the world um, by baristas who are constantly pushing the envelope um, of, of what is possible with coffee. People are really you know, constantly thinking about the way in which they're serving coffee and the way to describe flavours and what they want to bring to the table. Um, so I love being firsthand sitting there and experiencing that. Um, I love uh, yeah the interaction with all the people who are involved in the competition. It's 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 well worth the investment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I, yeah. I I can kind of back that too. Just being involved in this stuff pays yeah. back many times for the times yeah. that you uh, yeah. you put in. Now um, we normally thank sponsors now because this thing needs sponsors. Yeah. But instead of that, we have an ask the ask the experts uh, thing with a lovely little animation, which is very cool. So we've had questions coming off the internet, and this yeah. one is coming from Vincent Lee from Canada. What is the biggest compromise rapid growth has forced on your business? That's a tough one. Yeah, that is tough. I don't. Nobody likes to say something's compromised, yeah. do they? It's, uh... well, you know, what, one that I did, that people rarely consider is yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Like, so lifestyle. Yeah. Like this must be. You guys must be flat out. It's okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good point, and thank you for putting putting words in my mouth. <laughs> no, <Sorry>. um, <laughs> I would I would say that we haven't like I don't feel that we've had to compromise on on quality at any level, um, which which I'm incredibly grateful for, and I, I don't want to be involved in a business where I'm not not really proud of the quality of the product that we're serving. Um, you know, there are pressures on us to deliver and. Yeah, we are spending a lot of time thinking about it. Um, maybe actually the, the compromise is that um, I don't get to spend enough time really developing and working with Reese's at, at Taylor Street. So that's going to be a, a, a refocus. 
So what is your absolute favourite cafe in the world and why? And that's Nick Manning from the UK. Yeah. So. Um, I've got lots of many, I've got lots of favourite cafes for lots of different reasons. Um, I like cafes where you get exceptional coffee, where you get a choice of, a choice of different coffees. Um, you know, and I love, you know, it depends on whether I'm going in there for the overall experience of the, the food and great service. Um, I was blown away by what Melbourne's doing on a consistently high level. Um, you know, I went to Top Paddock down in, down in Melbourne. And, what, the, what they're doing with food is just that was, phenomenal. That was my you know? favorite as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, seriously. That, that's, I was walking at the door yeah. saying, I'm stealing this, yeah, bye. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think um, also, like, Nadia yeah. earlier from Coffee Mania, he's just like, it's another one of those places that is just so amazing. It's yeah, so, yeah. It's so different and unique as well. Yeah. It's very tough. It's like having a favorite child, having a favorite coffee shop, yeah. isn't it? It's, yeah, exactly. it's very tough. Yeah. Is there anything someone looking to open their own coffee cafe should uh, absolutely not do? And that's Marion Harris from USA. So um, anything you shouldn't do if you're opening a cafe? Anything you should shouldn't shouldn't do. Yeah, I mean it's you. You, you cannot if you're if you're into quality, you cannot compromise on your equipment, your barista training, and your coffee. Um, and you cannot forget who you're serving, okay? So know your customer. Um, don't compromise your own values and what you want to deliver to your customer. You can't, you know, um, reduce quality because you think that you'll get more people in the door if you have a more generic product, but you can, um, you really have to focus on what it is that they want. I always so. think with these things, if you try and please somebody else, yeah. you run the risk of pleasing nobody, whereas yeah. if you keep yourself happy, then one person's always happy. Exactly. And yeah. I, I can go with that number. <laughs> Do you think the, um, like, you, probably, you started in a very similar way to I did, kind of, I, I regret the way I started to some extent, that like, very little money, very little equipment to get mm -hmm. to compromise certain areas, but do you think the barrier for entry is getting higher all the time? It is a real challenge, um, and it requires a bit of uh, creativity. Um, you know, one of the reasons um, we set up this joint venture with, with Harrison Hall is just the access to access to money. I mean, Tesco have a big, a big pot of cash that they can invest in this, and they're actually quite a savvy investor. Um, you go to a bank and try and get money, difficult. Uh, you, you know, if you go to a private equity firm or, or, or angel investors, they take a lot of your business. So you've really got to um, either compromise somewhere in the way you, where you develop the business, lose ownership of it, lose control of it, and they're not, they're not good things. So I think I know when, when I, my desire when I got into coffee was I wanted to make coffee better. Yeah. It's really hard to do that on a small scale because yes, you can make coffee better in your little bubble, but making it better for the world, yeah. like you, you, with, you know, 18 stores can make a big difference to coffee quality and certainly with the plans yeah. to grow can, can make a big difference whereas one store will never will you know yeah. will be great but it won't make those big changes sure so, yeah um i'm kind of conscious that it's going to get very noisy soon with the announcement yep. and i would sit here and talk to you all day and uh, i'll probably bend your ear at the barista party about this stuff and i'm sure Looking other people will as well but yeah. please a big round of applause for andrew Tolley. thank you so much well done my pleasure yeah thank you